When I was growing up, I was taught in American history books that Africa had no history, and neither did I. That I was a savage, about whom the less said the better, who had been saved by Europe and brought to America. And of course, I believed it. I didn't have much choice. Those were the only books there were. Everyone else seemed to agree. If you walk out of Harlem, ride out of Harlem, downtown, the world agrees. What you see is much bigger, cleaner, whiter, richer, safer than where you are. They collect the garbage. People obviously can pay their life insurance. The children look happy, safe. You're not. And you go back home. And it would seem then, of course, that it's an act of God, that this is true, that you belong where white people have put you. The great historian John Henry Clark said that history is the roadmap showing us where we've been and where we need to go. But growing up as a minority in the United States, and especially a person of African descent, it'll feel at times that history happened without you or anybody that looked like you having anything to do with it. A lack of knowledge of your own history can have lasting effects on your self-esteem, and that, of course, can then bleed into other aspects of your life. History, it could be argued, could be the most important class we take in public school if you're taught it properly. If you're taught a diverse history, you know, a, a history at least as diverse as the place you live, and a history that includes the contributions of all those respective cultures to society, if you ask a history teacher, why do we learn history, they'll probably tell you, that it gives us the opportunity to learn from past mistakes so that they aren't repeated. If that is the case, then don't we owe it to our black children to teach them their actual history, one that doesn't begin with slavery? And whose mistakes are we trying to avoid by learning a European history? Wouldn't it benefit the whole class if the history we taught them was as diverse as the class is? My name is Baudelaire, and today, on the first episode of La Soapbox, I'll discuss just that the effect an understanding of your history can have on the way you see the world. What's that box for? It's my soapbox. If you have important things to say, you use a soapbox. If now isn't a good time for the truth, I don't see when we're going to get to it. What we're not going to do here is argue whether or not racism exists. Now, that is such a ridiculous thing to even consider that I don't really have the time to get into all the ways racism affects Africans and darker skinned people all over the world, and especially in this country. So for the most part, we can just skip that. But what I will do is give a super brief explanation as to how we got here. After emancipation, the United States had 4 million former slaves and now citizens that they didn't really want and had to figure out what their place would be in the society. Kidnapped from Africans stripped of their own culture, religions, and even their own names, the slaves were the backbone of the American economy when cotton was king. And it's that prosperity that led to the U.S.'s growth from an economic non-factor on the world stage at the time of independence to a country on the brink of being a superpower after the Civil War. This was only a span of 100 years, which is really the blink of an eye when you compare it to the growth rate of any other country in world history. This growth, again, 
was made on the backs of slaves and would go on to be the basement and the lobby of the towering skyscraper that would become American capitalism. But at the end of the Civil War, the country had the issue of what to do with its former free workers. At first, the country decided to subjugate them to an existence so close to slavery that the two would be pretty much indistinguishable. Given no form of reparations or schooling post-slavery, blacks became the permanent floor of society as they took on the service and field jobs that paid wages so low no white man or woman would have accepted them. After this period came the period of Jim Crow, where blacks were deemed separate but equal. The separation was a fact, but the African-American population was nowhere near equal. Negro schools existed throughout the South, and these schools were not in any way upkept by the government. Though African-Americans paid their fair share of taxes, many schools were left with holes in the roof and books that were barely bonded together. The Civil Rights Movement came, and right before that, the U.S. Supreme Court had deemed separate but equal unconstitutional, and eventually the schools would be integrated. Now, it's this moment that I would like to focus on. When the schools were integrated, the history was not. White teachers knew the importance of history. I mean, even my own history teachers in my life stressed to me the importance of history, but after looking at the curriculum, it seems they were telling me the importance of their history. Because what was I to gain from knowing that King Henry VIII killed his six wives? Maybe I would have gained more from learning that Toussaint Louverture, uh, the great liberator of Haiti, defeated the Spanish, French, and English armies in his lifetime. Or maybe learning that ancient Greek scholars would travel to Egypt to advance their learning of math and science and bring what they learned back to their home to improve it. Imagine the effect it would have on a little black girl struggling with math to know that it was people who looked like her that developed some of the concepts she's struggling with. I say all that to say that perhaps the education system did and still does play a hand in perpetuating racism. For what is racism really? A familiar voice on the issue defines it as a myth of the superior and the inferior you race. racism for what it is. It is a myth of the superior and the inferior race. It is the false and tragic notion that one particular group, one particular race is responsible for all of the progress, all of the insight, and the total flow of history. And the theory that another group or another race is totally depraved, innately impure, and innately inferior. You're probably asking yourself, what's the big deal? I still grew up to be a functional adult, and who remembers what they were taught in history class in high school anyway? To the first question, I'll offer you the explanation from historian Robin Walker. There are psychological reasons why people would want to associate themselves with a history. There is a link between what someone thinks of themselves, what someone thinks of their people, and their history. Now, scholars talk about personal esteem, that means self-esteem, and then you have interpersonal or group esteem, which is what you think of your group or what you think of your race, racial esteem. Self-esteem and racial esteem are not the same thing. Someone can have very high self-esteem, where they think highly of themselves, and very low racial esteem where they think very badly of other black people. And in truth, most black people have very high self-esteem and very low racial esteem. And that's one of the reasons why black people are prone to fight each other. And to the second point, 
who remembers this anyway, I'll allow you to hear from Michelle Morales, who is an executive director of a youth organization, Mikva Challenge, in Chicago. As a Puerto Rican woman, my culture and my history was never taught, was never spoken of. Um, so I grew up feeling invisible. I grew up feeling that my history meant nothing. And I remember I had a, an altercation with a teacher when we were talking about Native American history. And I went home and my dad shared, oh, well, Puerto Ricans have indigenous culture. Our, cult, our indigenous culture are the Tainos. Told me all this stuff that I didn't even know my dad knew. Got so excited, brought it back to my teacher. And my teacher called my father a liar and said that, your father's a liar. Tainos don't exist. And you can tell I'm 40. I still haven't gotten over it. I was like seven years old, seven or eight years old. And that sticks with me because in that moment, a history that I should have been proud of was erased. And then my father's intelligence was brought into question. And I, as um, an eight-year-old, believed the teacher. You know, so how many times do we do that to youth? And how many times particularly do we do that to youth of color in this country where we completely erase their identity and then also take it a step further by making them even question their community, question their parents, question their upbringing. Well, is there direct evidence that a diverse history curriculum benefits all students? I'm glad you asked. Stanford University researchers looked at data from a pilot program in San Francisco where students considered at high risk for dropping out were enrolled in one of the state's ethnic studies programs. The results were incredible. Attendance rose by 21 percentage points, while grade point averages rose by 1.4 points. Students enrolled in an ethnic studies course earned 23 more credits towards graduation on average than those who did not. The largest improvements in test scores were found among boys and Hispanic students in math and science. In a comprehensive study of the benefits students of color accrue from multicultural education, Celestial Zaldana of Claremont McKenna University found overwhelming evidence for the positive social and emotional effects of a diverse curricula. Reading texts written by members of the underrepresented ethnic groups currently in school curricula improves the self-esteem of students of that ethnic group and caused all students to have a greater appreciation for cultural difference. Despite the proven benefits of a diverse history education, many students still receive Eurocentric instruction. Studies have shown that most students lack a basic understanding of such things as slavery, rudimentary world geography, or the history of indigenous peoples. In a 2015 study, the National Museum of African American History and Culture found that the majority of teachers considered black history to be influential in understanding the complexity of U.S. history. Many teachers even claim that they, in teaching history, try to, quote, infuse elements of black history in every historical era, sometimes going beyond state and local standards, end quote. However, when the study looked at how time was actually being used in U.S. history classrooms, it revealed a slightly different reality. On average, only one to two lessons, or eight to nine percent of total class time, is devoted to black history. Now, with overwhelming evidence that shows how beneficial a diverse curriculum is, a black man or woman is left to wonder why their history was left out. Surely once the school system and those in power know they left some stuff out, it'll be added, right? What if I learned that during the period I was taught to see as the Dark Ages, I learned that that phrase would really only apply to Europe as Africa flourished with empires like Ghana and Mali being the home of scholars and universities and riches that were unheard of in Europe at the time. Well, what if that information was left out on purpose? Robin Walker, 
the dude you just heard go over racial and self-esteem has an explanation for that too. Why has the history of African peoples been erased? Well, we don't live in a fair world. Things aren't fair. You don't get equal opportunities. You get the opportunities that you create for yourself. And if someone gets in there first and they conquer you, they colonize you, they enslave you, they simply make your history disappear to make it look like they conquered, colonized, and enslaved nobodies. When people have a history, that makes you a somebody. So if you remove the history, you become a nobody. And so your history disappearing, nobody's lamenting the loss of that history. That's why conquerors, colonizers, and enslavers make the people whose history they've conquered, colonized, and enslaved disappear. So what you end up having, once the African-American realizes that the school system they pay their fair taxes into uh, somehow trick them into believing that they come from an inferior race, a distrust and a disconnect starts with that system, and a rebellious nature can be cultivated. You might be thinking, what about Black History Month? Well, Black History Month has become a month-long celebration of Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, and then every year a third African-American usually gets a chance to share some of the spotlight. Devoting an entire continent and its people's history into four weeks is an impossible task. And like the study I told y'all about earlier explained, it usually doesn't go over as well as the teachers think. But it's not the fault of the teachers themselves, but of those who shape the curriculum. African and African-American history affects not just Africa and its diaspora, but the rest of the world as well. Why would we not explain that at the Berlin Conference of 1884, the powers of Europe and the United States came together to split up Africa and its resources amongst themselves? It was at this conference, with no Africans present, that some of the borders we see today were drawn, and the European powers agreed to never go to war over Africa. And hey, while we're in the mid-1800s, why not teach young people about King Leopold and his actions in the Congo? Under the reign of terror instituted by King Leopold II of Belgium, the population of Congo was reduced by half. Half. As many as 8 million Africans, perhaps even 10 million, lost their lives. Some were beaten or whipped to death for failing to meet the rigid production quotas for ivory and rubber harvest imposed by Leopold's agents. Some were worked to death, forced to labor in slave-like conditions as porters, rubber gatherers, and miners for little to no pay. Some died of the diseases introduced to and spread throughout the Congo by Europeans. And still, others died from the increasingly frequent famines that swept through the Congo Basin as Leopold's army rampaged through the countryside, appropriating food and crops for its own use while destroying villages and fields. The Nazis in Germany killed a total of 11 million people and 6 million Jews. If that's to be considered history that must be taught to all people, and I agree it is, then so should the multiple holocausts inflicted upon the Africans by European powers. Jewish people have used the atrocities committed upon them as a rally point via several holidays, and maybe if blacks knew the true history of what has and is continuously done to us, we could do the same. I remember being a kid in kindergarten, pledging allegiance to the flag like all my classmates and being really proud that I remembered it so fast. I felt that that flag represented me as much as it did to them. I felt that the interests of the United States were my interests, and nobody could tell me no different. It wasn't until I got older that I saw where the U.S. ranked me and those who looked like me on its list of priorities. My favorite author, James Baldwin, 
the great American writer, spoke about this moment of realized deception at the Oxford Union in 1964. You also heard from this same speech at the beginning of the episode. What you should know before you hear this clip, though, is that Gary Cooper was a famous actor in the 40s and 50s who often played popular cowboy roles. This means, in the case of an American Negro, born in that glittering republic, and in the moment you are born, since you don't know any better, every stick and stone and every face is white, and since you have not yet seen a mirror, you suppose that you are too. It comes as a great shock around the age of five or six or seven to discover that the flag to which you have pledged allegiance along with everybody else has not pledged allegiance to you. It comes as a great shock to discover that Gary Cooper killing off the Indians when you were rooting for Gary Cooper, that the Indians were you. It comes as a great shock to discover that the country which is your birthplace and to which you owe your life and your identity, has not in its whole system of reality evolved any place for you. So I learned my own history, gained my confidence through that history, and now I walk with my back straight because I know I come from a great people, a proud people, who may not have had the weapons the Europeans had in the late 1400s, which would lead to the beginning of the slave trade, but they had every bit of the intelligence and higher morals than those Europeans could ever dream of. This new information changed how I interacted with the world, as Akala, a British rapper and activist, would go on to explain, also at the Oxford Union, but just a few years ago. So as a young Afro-Caribbean child growing up, if I had swallowed the Eurocentric curriculum that told me black people's only role in the human story was, first of all, as being slaves, then getting set free by William Wilberforce, and then the civil rights movement in America, I probably wouldn't have had very much pride in my own identity. Luckily, I didn't swallow that curriculum because I went to a separate Saturday school that Caribbean people set up in the 1970s. There was a big movement in the 70s where Caribbeans set up Saturday schools to A, teach black history, but also to teach maths and science and to improve on what they felt was a racist curriculum, but also the way their children were being dealt with in the schools. I was a lucky recipient of some of that knowledge and it meant that I didn't feel inferior to what I was being taught. So I could engage with Shakespeare or Newton or Plato because I didn't feel intimidated by that because I didn't feel that people like me had never contributed anything to human progress. So if we don't teach that history. Many people can come to the world or come to world history with an inferiority complex that is unjustified and unnecessary. So now that we know there's a problem and the benefits of solving it, how do we do just that? Well, at the state level, politicians should advocate for better history education standards. They should push for a curriculum that reflects the contributions all citizens have made throughout U.S. history. Moreover, they should vow to purchase history textbooks and materials that accurately reflect those contributions. They must also budget carefully to ensure that teachers have the funds to properly teach history. Educators can also play a role. Teachers and administrators should demand textbooks and educational resources that represent and are created by people from a variety of lived experience. Administrators can also require that all teachers be properly trained in equity, diversity, and inclusion to ensure that they can lead difficult discussions. Teachers should also prepare to supplement existing curriculum and administrators should support them in those endeavors. Parents and students can also act. Parents should discuss history lessons and review history materials at home to ensure accuracy. Parents should also push school administrators to teach diversity throughout the year and not just in one designated month. High school students, middle school students also, could organize together and demand an accurate curriculum for their schools. 
Let's take a quick break right there to give a shout out to Hindsight Visual Media. At Hindsight Media, they offer videography, photography, and social media marketing strategy. They deliver a superior quality of product by using proven methods to create a unique and refreshing piece of art. They shoot everything to be as crisp and clear as Hindsight. Go to at Hindsight Media underscore 2020 on Instagram and check out their work. They do weddings, music videos, book release events, and more. Check them out on Instagram and send them a DM to book. You can also go to hindsightvisualmedia.com. Just let them know I sent you. I cannot stress enough the importance of having an understanding of one's history is and how much it would benefit all children to be taught a history as diverse as the world is. As of right now, all we're being taught is European with a dash of Egyptian history. And let's take a quick pause here so I can share the fact that the pyramids were not built by Hebrew slaves. The pyramids of Egypt have been studied so intensively, there are whole libraries of books about them. Some accounts hold they were built by slaves. According to the general history of Africa, Egypt was not a society where slavery was common. And the burial sites of the builders suggest they were mostly free men. As of right now, all we're being taught is European with a dash of Egyptian history. Then we get the history of the U.S. with the impact of slavery on the development of this country being severely minimized. I'm not saying that through uprooting the racism that's inherent in the public school curriculum that will solve racism completely, but it will be a huge blow because the feeling that one has no history can lead to a self-esteem down spiral that not only hurts the individual, but can eventually hurt the greater society. And then on the flip side, right, the feeling that your people created all of civilization and were the biggest factors in world history leads to a false sense of superiority and bigoted opinions that deep down, you feel that this is your society that your people have decided to share with the world. So those bigoted opinions will seem justified. Even if you feel you don't have a racist or inferior bone in your body, and if you feel that your people or the people of your partner haven't contributed to society in a major way, then how else, when we get to the root of it, can you look at racism but not ultimately justified? I mean, if you really were the home of all uh, or if not most major innovations in world history, then white supremacy would have its place. But it's the fact that that is the greatest lie perpetuated daily through curriculums across this country that makes racism so irrational and disgraceful. For more info on African history, watch the African Civilizations documentary series on Amazon Prime or the several documentary series you may find on Netflix, Hulu, whatever your streaming service is. Or you can read. There are so many books written by the greatest minds the world has ever known, like W.B. Du Bois, James Baldwin, Malcolm X, Angela Davis, Martin Luther King, Maya Angelou, Kwame Nkrumah, and honestly just too many people to name that will give you a better understanding of the Africans' place in world history and how we can move forward. You can't do anything by legislation. It takes uh, uh, education. The white man in this country needs to be re-educated re uh, so that his Behavior pattern toward non-whites will change, and the black man in this country also needs to be re-educated, so our behavior patterns and attitudes toward ourselves will change. You can go to bonos.com for all show references and links to all the full versions of audio used. That's B-A-U-K-N-O-W-S dot com. And as will be the case with all episodes of La Soapbox, I'm welcoming opinions, questions, concerns, whatever you may have. Just use the voice memo feature on your phone and record what you got to say. There's no time limit and feel free to give shout outs where necessary. Throughout the season, 
and maybe even after, bonus episodes will come out sporadically addressing these thoughts from the people. Just email your voice memo to lesoapboxpod at gmail.com. That's lesoapboxpod at gmail.com. Also, if you are interested in advertising on Lesoapbox, know that this show accepts ads from black businesses only. If you don't understand the importance of that, feel free to ask and I'll tell you. You can follow me also on Instagram at Bonos. That's B-A-U-K-N-O-W-S. Or follow me on Twitter at Baudelaire. That's B-A-U-D-E-L-A-I-R-E. At Bonos on Instagram, at Baudelaire on Twitter. That is all I have for you today on The Soapbox. Thank you for listening. I was wondering about our yesterdays and digging through the rubble. And to say the least, somebody went to a hell of a lot of trouble to make sure that when we looked things up, we wouldn't fare too well. And we would come up with totally unreliable pictures of ourselves. But I've compiled what few facts I could, I mean, such as they are, to see if we could find out a little bit of something. And this is what I got so far. First, white folks discovered Africa. They claimed it fair and square. Cecil Rhodes couldn't have been robbing nobody because, hell, there wasn't nobody there. And white folks brought all the civilization because there wasn't none around. How could the folks be civilized when wasn't nobody writing nothing down? And just to prove all of their suspicions, well, didn't take too long. They found out that there were whole tribes of people in plain sight running around with no clothes on. That's right. The men, the women, the young and the old righteous folks covered their eyes and no time was spent considering the environment. Hell no, this just wasn't civilized. And another piece of information they had, or at least this is what we were taught, is that unlike the civilized people of Europe, these tribal units actually fought. And yes, there were some crude implements and yes, there was primitive art. And yes, they were masters of hunting and fishing, and courtesy came from the heart. And yes, there was love and medicine, religion, intertribal communication by drum, but no paper, no pencils, and no other utensils. And hell, these folks never even heard of a gun. And this is why the colonies came, to stabilize the land, because the dark continent had copper and gold, and the discoverers had themselves a plan. They would discover all the places with promise. You didn't need no titles and deeds. Then they would appoint people to make everything legal, to sanction the trickery and greed. And back in the jungle, when the natives got restless, they would call it guerrilla attack. And they would never describe that the folks finally got wise and decided that they would fight back. And still, we are victims of word games. Semantics is always a bitch. Places once referred to as underdeveloped are now called mineral rich. And the game goes on eternally. Unity kept just beyond reach. Egypt and Libya used to be in Africa. They've now been moved to the Middle East. There are examples galore, I assure you. But if interpreting were left up to me, I'd be sure every time folks knew this version wasn't mine, which is why it is called His Story.